we are bound up within one another and that is that is terrifying that is terrifying but it's also kind of like beautiful and and yes. hot and <laughs> exciting i've got something I am God and can edit anything out that I want to ever. Whoa! Isn't isn't that why we start podcasts? <laughs> to be it's, yeah, it's to be gods, to be yeah. gods of our <laughs> of our tiny, tiny, tiny yeah. universes. <laughs> the, the podcasters are the gods amongst the, you know the the, the all peoples online. The podcasters are yeah. the most re- revered for a reason. <laughs> oh yes, yes. I love this, oh, yeah. like, poly- polytheistic approach to that, like, all podcasters are gods, so we would be like, like, who's the Loki, who's the, you know, like... The um, god of... Who's the... Freya? Yeah. I'd be... I'd like to be Freya. You could be Freya. Yeah, you just do have, have my... name Odin. Yeah, I do. I have a cat named Odin, and I I would love to be dragged along by cats in a cart. <laughs> That would be nice. I mean, goals, honestly. Goals. Yeah. yeah. No. Yeah. All right. Yeah. All right. Um, welcome to Tinder Subject, the only podcast that gives you herpes with love. Aww. <laughs> I am Jay. I use he, him pronouns, and I am joined by my lovely co-host, Kate. Kate, take it away. Hello. Hello. I'm Kate. Um, I use uh, she, her, or they, them pronouns. Uh, dealer's choice and we have a amazing guest <laughs> would Drum you like roll. to introduce yourself introduce yourself Woo! guest uh, uh, yeah i go by guest no uh i am <laughs> I'm, I'm i am uh i'm john i i go by uh i use he him pronouns and i go by the liquor guy in lots of places online uh i am i am for my sins sentenced to, to be a podcaster uh and <laughs> i am i am the the co-ghost of a little a little show called horror vanguard which as we like to say on the show it's about three three important things it's about uh friendship and most importantly uh it's about communism uh and periodically we do talk about scary movies as well <laughs> <laughs> and we committed the, the 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 cardinal sin of not having you both on together and instead got you to um come talk about uh different movies separately that's good yeah. i think that's good yeah. twice the horror <laughs> vanguard yeah. yes I, I mean you you tore us apart to like kind of half our power so <laughs> exactly. oh yes 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 <laughs> um but no super excited thank you so much for for having both me and ash on the show yes yeah. we we had them on to talk about motel hell which mm. was a party it was so fun yeah that is that, was that is some primo that's some primo ash cinema right <laughs> yes <now. laughs> yes we were like ash you pick <laughs> and ash was like okay i have a list of like 17 movies <laughs> i just have to narrow it down <laughs> uh, i didn't even i didn't even pick this one it, i i don't think anyway no we no, forced this I think one it, upon you i think it idea. was doled doled upon you. <laughs> yeah. uh, it, you know you loaded up the podcasting syringe and i nervous but like 
ex- kind of excited about it allowed mm-hmm. you to put it into my flesh. And yes. Thank you for that. I think it was it was a very special experience. <laughs> Where did we inject antiviral into your flesh, John? <laughs> um, well, uh, it ha- firstly has to go into my eyes and then many other places. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, we oh are watching God. Brandon Cronenberg's 2013. I was still yeah, an so undergraduate. Old. Wow, Jeez. this is a decade old. 2013 debut. I know I was a babby. Um, 2013 <laughs> debut feature antiviral. Um, if people aren't aware, Brandon Cronenberg, yes, is David Cronenberg's um, son. I would say that their movies are quite different. Um, I think it's kind of reductionist to say, oh, he's doing some variant of body horror. Therefore, they're just like his dad's films. I think that's a bit reductionist. Um, but there are some similarities there. There's a familial through line. Um, So if you like David Cronenberg's films, um, I feel like the films of Brandon's, even though I don't like his films um, (laughs) that uh, I have seen are very interesting at least. And there's a lot in there and you will probably like them. I I'm just a hater. (laughs) (laughs) Like, no, maybe that's a good place to start though, which is like, yeah. What's, what's everybody's thoughts. What's everybody's thoughts on like Brandon Cronenberg. Let's start there. No, I mean, I think I think he shows like a ton of potential and it's unfortunate. Like I was I was watching I watched a couple of interviews with him about this movie and everyone asked like the same questions. Um, Mm. The first one was really interesting, actually. Like, I guess he got the idea for this movie when he was very sick um, and was like, and had the flu and he was kind of like fever dreaming and um, just thinking about like sharing germs with other people and like what that feels like. And like, um, you know, just kind of went from there. But then the second question everyone asked, of course, was like, well, this movie is about celebrity and celebrity worship. And like, you're the child of a celebrity. What does that feel like? And it's like, well, not, I mean, I don't know how many people are treating David Cronenberg <laughs> like Angelina Jolie. You know, like, I don't know. Like, there's like maybe like 2,000 perverts that are like, David. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like, David, give me your germs. Yeah, like maybe <laughs> me. But yeah. it's such a strange question. And like, everyone asked him that. It was such a strange approach. Um you know, because I feel like everyone has to ask the, like, Nepo Baby questions. Yeah, right. I mean, Nepo Baby in horror cinema, like, it was going to come up, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like, my feelings are, like, the films I've seen of his is that, like, both of the films I've seen, there are, there's a lot I like about both of the films of Brandon's mm-hmm. that I've seen. Um, but what I get from them, or, like, there's, like, a film inside the films, that's like begging to like come out, but it's like Brandon and everyone involved in the film hasn't quite teased out the really good film they're actually, they should actually be making. It's like, they haven't like let the first layer slough off yet. Like it feels like, mm. um, like a, uh, like a second or third draft mm. um, where there's so much interesting stuff. And it's like, Oh, if you had only connected this thing. Um, but I, I don't get the like, if I didn't know that 
this was by the son of David Cronenberg. Um, I don't, I mean, I would obviously be like, oh, there's some body horror um, in this. There's discussion of like technology and society and the body. And, and it's also, you know, sicko mode pervy with it. Um, you know, obviously I would make a connection to David Cronenberg, but I don't think um, that the anxiety of influence is the issue I have with Brandon. Um, I, I have mm-hmm. listened to the HV episode on Possessor um, ab- ab- about this very argument. Um, I I don't think it's the anxiety of influence that I have an issue with. I just mm-hmm. think that like I'm there's that there's a lot of potential, as you said, and I get frustrated by the potential because um, it's like the, the, the really good film that he is making hasn't broke through the film that got made or something if that makes sense yeah i I get what you mean i get yeah i get i get what you mean and i actually think it's it's kind of more immediate to see that in this movie yes like there this is this is a debut i think there are some personally i think there are some pacing issues yeah that that slow things down uh especially in the first half and it means that yeah I, I think it really picks up when we get like an hour in. I think yes. it all suddenly starts to like, like the the infection gets more serious. Yes, yeah, the main yes. point of the film is really strong. I think what he's really good at is like cool i cool ideas. Firstly, I think mm. he's really good on the micro level of filmmaking as well. Shot composition is great. There are some gorgeous. great great gorgeous like gooey visual imagery in this oh, and in possessor yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah possessor i think is a much stronger movie uh unambiguously a, a kind of thrilling film and i think a lot of that has to be credited to the absolute queen andrea riseborough who is <laughs> fucking amazing and i love yeah her. um but this is i i don't know if this is i don't know if this is i think this is like an, an interesting film but i totally yeah. get why some people might like bounce off it a little bit yeah, yeah, like I um there were there were parts of it where like I feel like I didn't get the anxiety of influence in Infinity Pool when I watched Infinity Pool. This one at the end when there's the weird flesh arm coming out of the iron lung that he then cuts and like repeats unnecessarily a line at the beginning and starts tonguing it which is hot but that's when i went oh come on like at my at my television that part was a little like it didn't feel like because like cronenberg's corny as hell um Mm -hmm. but it's a very self-aware corniness which is still taking itself seriously um like i i don't feel like every david film is a is a comedy even though crimes of the future is fucking hilarious Um, it is really funny so funny um it's but it's always art critique (laughs) yes yeah but it's um this one it felt like dead serious when he was saying it and maybe that was me misreading that moment um but yeah that's that's what i would um so like the big um, difference yeah. the big difference that I would I would kind of bring out is like this film is very cold. Yes. Like like, like almost so cold. almost like anhedonic, like almost yeah. like d- d- like depressed. And and it's chronic, so David's sterile. film yeah, like st- there's a sterility to it which mm. uh, you know when you're talking and but but that formal aesthetic sterility creates like this interesting friction when you're talking about like the the libidinal economy of literally letting 
celebrities inside your body because you love them so much. It's like yes. if Kubrick made a Cronenberg film. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. it's, it's like Crash yeah. is also very cold, but it's dirty. Yeah. Right. It's grimy. It's yeah. industrial. Yeah. Right. This is like sterile. Um, I it's like. like- perfect almost right like like they talk about the celebrity celebrity is boring because it's perfect Mm -hmm. yeah but those celebrities have illnesses and that that marks them it tarnishes them and that's the only thing that makes them interesting they don't talk about anything else except how they're deformed or how they're Mm -hmm. sick right yeah and the sterility of the um the movie especially at the at the the first hour um yeah i think it's really interesting because it's both like futuristic and incredibly dated like yeah which i love that, that kind of aesthetic me too because it's like mm-hmm. it's like a like a someone's idea of futuristic that ha- like they came up with in the 80s and like never mm-hmm. got updated like it reminds me of um there's a a emer- this is so weird there's a emergency dental office in philadelphia that like you you would go to if you have like a dental emergency over the weekend and it looks like a nightclub but like from the 90s and (laughs) it's all like fake white leather couches and like really weird lighting and they have like a um like the desk that you go up to 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 check in is like a desk that would be in like a hotel but and so it's like they think it's really classy but like it's it's just weird like it's just eerie you know so it's like this um i like that kind of thing where it's sort of like out of time because you're like this is futuristic but it's not you know there's not really anything in it that's like that like signifies that we're in a different time period you know like it could just be a different world at a different time. Yeah, it's similar to the way that like and not to call this film Lynchian, but like the way that David Lynch uses um anachronism to sort of like unseat you out of out of where you are to sort of like shift you to the left a little bit. Like when I first watched yeah. Twin Peaks, I was like, is this the 50s? Um right. no, yeah. it's it's not. It's the 90s, but everyone's dressing like you know, the fifties kind of like this sort of like mixture of anachronism and like nostalgia to, to sort of not necessarily do a retro futurism thing, but to um, just unseat you uh, a little bit to sort of take you out of the reality that you thought you were in, but not enough to put you in a completely other one that you can then take root in. I mean, but like this is yeah. also this is also so much of like how we treat treat like the bo- just bodies generally, right? This yes. idea mm-hmm. of like, you know, uh, what are like what are we if not these kind of uh, this thing of like ooze and goo and dirt yeah. and and funk and all kinds of like yeah. weirdness roiling beneath the surface. But I think your point, Jay, about like this contrast between perfectibility and like apparent corruption. There's, this is this is like it's the friction of seeing the body as like abject, which is yeah. this, this thing which is both utterly repulsive and yet like the primary focus of desire, right? Es- especially especially the body of the celebrity, which is like posited 
forward into the into the realm of like the imaginary this idealized space so it isn't it's it's not that uh it's not like this celebrity is is someone that you could meet but it's someone that you could uh they become the i really love the line where they talk about celebrities being like a kind of group fantasy oh my yes. god i loved that yeah i perfect. want to talk about that the politics of this um, movie are really good the politics are yeah. super interesting yeah. Uh, celebrity is not an accomplishment. It's a collaboration we choose to take part in. Mm -hmm. Is um, yes. one of the quotes of the the um, I forget his name. The like you know CEO of of the Lucas Clinic when they're asking him about um, you know sort of like is this exploitative and you know like should we be worried that people are have lost lost their collective shit so much over celebrities <laughs> it's like, no it's normal it's fine stop worrying stop worrying How, do you follow us on instagram you should it's fine yeah. don't, don't worry about it <laughs> like i yeah. love that scene when uh malcolm mcdowell is, is is in this film and he's great in it as like a creepy yes. as a creepy doctor oh um, and there's great this as a great scene guy. where he's got like these like skin grafts on his yes. inner forearm like you see like yes. when people are like swatching eyeshadow <laughs> like and he's like stroking them like this one's hannah mm -hmm. because he's like i don't believe in god i think you know religion stupid whatever atheism is good but there isn't there just something mm -hmm. about like celebrity where it's, it takes on this like um mass religious like right. experience it's like everyone is like sort of gearing up for this like mystic moment of becoming one with the celebrity and it's like it's almost medieval in mm -hmm. a way and it's like through this sickness through marking yourself like that you can achieve that sort of like mystic oneness with the divine almost. yeah i mean it's like it's like a it's like what if rene girard made a horror movie about celebrity culture right <laughs> you put all of the you put like this the uh, girardian sacrifice this idea of like you put all of the um the problems and and sins and wrongs of the community onto the one that's expelled and kind of secures mm -hmm. the community in the act of expulsion right that's what that's what that's about but what if we made that something to aspire to and we like well isn't that what we all really want all of us want to be so loved that uh the other story cronenberg tells about this film is like watching sarah michelle geller on jim on like on fallon and she's <laughs> like oh oh i i she comes out and she says oh i've got a cold so I shouldn't sneeze on you because you'll all get my germs. And the audience goes nuts. They're like, yeah! Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> yeah sneeze on me, Sarah. Sneeze on me. <laughs> I mean, yeah, like how often like, have I like been to a, a concert and gotten close to the stage and be like, I'm breathing the same the air. Same air. Yeah. Yeah. Or he got Even though I'm like, you kill me. your idols, but it's still like, oh God, when I saw My Chemical Romance you know my favorite <laughs> band for over half my life and i finally got to fucking see them a year ago like i was like 20 feet from the stage and i was like if i get covid at this and die it will have been worth it um and like gerard way's right there and i'm breathing the same gross air as gerard way right now and isn't that kind yeah. of cool mm -hmm. um, but, you know and i did I get covid from it but i did not die <laughs> yeah but i want to talk about so like you know there there is a lot of mention of like collectivity and collaboration in you know um 
by like the people who are by both the doctor and then like the CEO of this company. So it's like, you know, it's collectivity that you pay for, that you pay a lot of money mm-hmm. for. Um, you know, and is that is that collectivity? Is that or is that like buying a piece of of something? Is that can can that be taking part in some in in like sharing a body in the same way because you're spending all this money to just like get a piece of something. Right. Like what is the sort of boundary between like isolated individual consumption, but everyone is consuming and commodifying the same thing in the same way. And like group doing this together with a purpose, like collaborative. Right. um, Like it's not, yeah it's not the um, same yeah like we're gonna um john in a a future episode we're gonna get with frank from uh, the left page and here be media to talk about the brazilian um uh, cannibal manifesto that talks (laughs) about sort of like um consumption of culture as a as a politic um and uh that is sort of like similar like to what's going on here because it's not just the illness it's not just the germs. It's not just the oh, virus no. that people are having injected into themselves. Like this is a way of building culture and shaping it and consuming yeah, it's it the and spectacle. repackaging it. Yeah, um, which I'm a you know a bad socialist and haven't read Society of the Spectacle, <laughs> but I did read the lovely little article that you uh, that one of you linked to read. Um, and the thing I found fascinating in it was this discussion of um, like. You know, putting a mustache on the Mona Lisa isn't submersive, uh, sub- subversive anymore. And so it's like um, how you engage with commodity and capitalism within art. Like you have to do like a like a double negative to sort of even be subversive <laughs> or to point or to unseat people and how they react to the spectacle um, now. And I, I very much like that's sort of what's happening in this film it's not necessarily subverting or it's not putting a mustache on the mona lisa it's just giving you here is the you know here is the the commodification here is the exploitation and it's just so unsettling that it unseats you from and like makes you look at we are doing this now this is not yeah oh yeah like, no none of this is like, like oh, future scary feeling yeah. no this is yeah, I mean, come on, you can buy celebrities used napkins on eBay right now. Right, yeah. <laughs> Dita Von T sells her used stockings. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, and you can I buy, mean, like, a, a way of, like, you know, of, you know, pornography stuff. is like you can buy used underwear, right? Yeah. Which is literally deep, shown in the film. <laughs> the, like, deep fake of Hannah in, in the, in, like, the peep show, you know, yeah. it's, it's totally possible. Like that's an that could be just like AI. You know, I mean, I don't think I, I'm sure something like that exists somewhere. You know, like right. Like I had a very like far... my reaction to that was like, oh, the people think this is so hardcore. But then I realized I had to remember this was made in 2013. Yeah, this this is normal now. But in 2013, yeah. maybe that was like way edgier and scarier to see that kind of technology imagined um mm. i don't know i don't remember where we where we were at with deep fakes and, and whatnot in, in yeah. 2013 but now i, it, I was like guys come on you're like somebody like, has you know. that in their basement some yeah. fancy 
Elon Musk has that in his basement right oh, now. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah, like, yeah. I, yeah. And, it, and it goes to show that like this idea of this kind of commodification or rather this kind of consumption is never really just about, is never really kind of just like a positive emotion, right? You, mm-hmm. It right. isn't that we want to, it isn't that we, that we want to, we want to, we want these celebrities to be like, we want to be breathing the same air as them just because we love them. Because if you mm-hmm. really push at that affect, if you really kind of like push it, you get to that moment where it's less about kind of like a positive affirmative thing and more about the desire for destruction. Because what is it that the deep fake always asks? Do you want to hurt me? Yes. And yes. It, and it's like, and it's like when it comes to celebrities or it comes to celebrity, the super uncomfortable point is that like, if you really dig into uh, mm-hmm. What is it Malcolm McDowell says? You're just a fan too. You're just a fan. Yes. If you really yeah. dig into just being a fan, it is, it's about kind of the annihilation of the desired object, right? It's about, it's about, you don't just want to consume it. You want to consume it until there is nothing left. That's, yeah. that's how badly you want it all. Yeah. You yeah, want Wayne to spend Coastal every day. About... Sorry, oh, okay. I was just going to say, you want to spend every day, like, you know, uh, thinking about Hannah Geist's deformed vulva, you know, like you you get so deep into you know like like the you know into just sort of like taking apart her body mm-hmm. that it's yeah it's pretty repulsive really when you think about it. Yeah, Wayne Kostenbaum talks about this a lot in um, yeah. the book The Queen opera homosexuality and the mystery of desire mm-hmm. in the Hell way yeah. that um male gay opera fans um uh react to sopranos that they really love and that mm-hmm. it is this cannibalistic they love them but the way that that love takes is often it, it's to destroy them yeah. you know they, they want to yeah. ob- obliterate them basically and like take apart their bodies and, and all of this and all of this like which is i definitely want to do an episode on like oh yeah can, we definitely should reactions to opera um but but yeah absolutely it's it's the same like i feel like it's the same um reaction we sometimes get when we see something cute and we want to eat it yeah oh exactly. yeah i want to oh my god like a bit yeah when you know people's like reaction to a baby or a cat where you're like you're so cute i just want to murder you <laughs> yeah it's like it's like that it's like that crossed with the same kind of affect that makes people tweet about wanting harry styles to run them over in his car exactly <laughs> yeah or like i want this person to sit on my face and like snap my head like a cantaloupe or whatever yeah, you know yeah. like... it's like i want i want i want hannah geist to cough in my mouth until i'm spewing blood and can no longer stand that's what i want <laughs> yes yes um i just want to talk about K- caleb landry jones affect in this movie for a little bit because it is that's the main actor right yeah he's like a um He's a very he was in X Men First Class. Oh, was he? Well, he was yeah. in Get Out. He was in uh, Twin Peaks: The Return, also mm-hmm. as a just. I love him as shit. an actor. Yeah, yeah. I, I love I love a gross, sickly little guy. Oh, <laughs> He's me just too. a weird little freak. Yeah, <laughs> like, he is so pallid. Yeah, he and is, like he looks he looks like he sleeps in a pond. Yes, he's he a also, very handsome I, frog. <laughs> <laughs> and I think he's perfect for this role because he's um, his 
like body build is almost like a fucking it's so uh feminine it's it's very like thin and frail and it's almost like Mm -hmm. he almost looks like a ballerina and so and i I would love to talk about the gender politics in this later but like it's very fitting that he becomes a sort of surrogate for hannah because i like they're you know if you put drag on him you know it would be very like there were times when i was like wait did they you know do something is that how they made hannah or something because Mm -hmm. of just how sort of um like it it was especially when i saw his hands and his wrists Mm. and his arms that like i was like his hands are even like daintier than mine are Mm. um right so well he's um, an incubator right that's how he's like yeah he's described he's like an incubator and there is the uh line talking about the the kind of sexual politics of disease which I yes. think is super interesting. But it's like, this is, a, I think you're completely right. And we actually have to kind of connect that to the ways in which this film talks about things like uh, bodies and sickness as a kind of work and who has to do that kind of work. Mm-hmm. Because because uh, if you think of the, the, the body of the celebrity as a commodity, it's a commodity that is produced by a certain kind of labor, right? Yeah. It, doesn't, it doesn't just come from nowhere. And it's... Right very explicitly in this film coded as female bodies that do this kind of work or feminine feminine bodies that do this kind feminized, of work. feminized yeah yeah feminized bodies yeah so i i think that's a super interesting point and he's he he, he, he like he's just pallid it looks like he's been in somebody's <laughs> cellar i love him so much uh, yeah uh, yeah but, he has like, like a strange coding on him <laughs> <laughs> But like the problem, the problem. One of the problems I think is is that the film is so kind of sterile that the the kind of libidinal economics of the film don't necessarily hit as well as they should. Up until the yes. point that, that he is literally like spewing blood from almost every orifice on his body. Yeah, yeah. Like especially when Hannah asks, "Have you started bleeding yet?" I was like. <laughs> Oh, have you got your period yet, girl? Like, she was like totally chill with it. She's like, oh, I woke up covered in blood. That's happened every month since I was 12, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the <laughs> and, way. And, and like, um, oh, sorry. Go ahead, Kate. Oh, no, no. Um, I think like I kept thinking about the way Hannah, the way we see Hannah, like in real life, not in like the, you know, the advertisements at the lucas clinic but she's like she's always propped up in bed and she has like that per like a perfect little like like dab of blood coming out of her mouth it feels very like she's a tb patient um it's right like she should be in in la boheme or la trial yeah like an extremely romanticized um illness you know like it reminded me a lot of um uh reading illnesses metaphor and how like the you know like the tb patient was like um was roman you know the people who got tb were gorgeous yeah Yeah, you know yeah you you got this these beautiful flush cheeks and like this extremely pale skin and then this like little perfect bit of blood just dripping down your mouth you know and like her illness was absolutely gorgeous you know and then his is like like watching his is just like disgusting (laughs) right like he is so um 
he feels like like um maybe like the direction that he got to be a, a weird little freak like there's this moment like and it's like right at the beginning when he is going over his little his little spiel with mm-hmm. um the sort of first patient we see who's going to get Hannah Geist's uh what I'm assuming is herpes um yeah. in in his lip and this so homoerotic sexualized where it's like which side do you want it on where do you want it and it's, yeah that was really it? hot oh, well, if yeah, she kisses you I mean, it'd be on your left side and like gets right up and it's this it's such a charged horny little freaky pervert moment that then mm-hmm. like he is so libidinal in this whole in a film that's not um and, and so it was like he's so even he's like unseated from like out of the film that is around him almost like when he does start spewing blood everywhere it's like this shouldn't be the movie he's spewing blood in or something like it felt so um out of place in this little in this sterile kubrickian perfect film it's like when the blood comes out of the elevator in the shining yeah it, it yeah, is, is yeah. like what he is in this movie it's like this just like mass viscera disturbing the sort of like perfection we've been watching for an hour and a half well i guess this kind of brings up a really important question which the film asks which is uh what is it what stops this from being cannibalism right yes i loved that discussion um Um, because it reminds me a lot of discussions people are having of like because what it is is they take the cells from the celebrity, and then they make meat slabs the out of it. The most disgusting meat slabs. <laughs> and, and not even just as a vegetarian, ugh, but just like they look yeah. very unappetizing. Like I yes. can still look at a steak and be like, that looks tasty, but I don't want to eat it, right? Um, but like, you know, we're doing similar things now where we're getting the cells of cows and stuff and starting to genetically like kind of clone or make meat in a lab that doesn't involve the slaughter of uh, an animal and some vegans and vegetarians are like no that's still from a living creature we can't eat that that's bad whereas i am like i would eat that in a heartbeat so nothing had to die for that and it's very tasty and i would like to eat it thank you very much like <laughs> like i didn't stop eating meat because i didn't like the taste of it right? Um, right and so it's like i feel like that's an interesting like uh, i know i bring buddhism buddhist philosophy and ontology and epistemology up Uh, all the time but like early buddhist thought had this question of like when when buddhism says like there is no self it's not a a nihilistic thing it's when you it's the concept of emptiness where it's like how far down do you have to go into something's essence almost like at an atomic level to find the core of that thing like what do i point at as that is hannah geist how far down do I have to drill to to get that where it's not this type of matter and this type of matter and this type of matter. And early Buddhism actually did sort of be like, no, there is uh, this aggregate that you can get to at the, at the core of it, like of material. Whereas later Buddhism was like, nope, there is no self like, right. Like there is nothing actually there. Um, and so th- it's a very like ontological like question that a lot of like Eastern thought, has, has dealt with yeah um and so i find it really fascinating that it was brought up here it's like is this the celebrity and if so is this count as me eating a person like when is it a person and when is it just meat 
I mean, um, and and I suspect, like, or at least I think that the film leans towards this idea of like, when it comes to celebrity, there is there is no self. Yeah. Yes. yes. Anna Geist isn't real. Hannah Geist is not I mean, Geist, literal, literal spirit, a literal spirit. <laughs> yeah. Hannah yeah. Geist is not real. You know, there is there is only there is only this abstraction, and it's an abstraction just enough away from the kind of real physical person that we can deny them any subjectivity and enact a kind of like socially sanctioned violence upon them. Yes, yes. Yeah, I mean, we never get to see, you know, the only things you see of Hannah are are constructed except for, you know, when she's like lying sick in her hospital bed, which is still incredibly like romanticized and um like especially the first time when she's in her hospital bed and she had or not hospital bed, she's in the hotel bed and she has the like mm. um, you know, perfect beautiful sleep mask on and her hair is still gorgeous and she still has make like a full face of makeup mm-hmm. um she doesn't even yeah. flinch when the um the needle, uh, needle goes in her. her yeah arm. and then mm-hmm. you know all these other um like apparitions of her just showing up on the walls at the clinic you know just like sort of moving around posing you never i don't think they even say like what she's a celebrity for, do they? For um, having a weird vagina deformity, apparently. But like, you know, you don't know <laughs> if she's you don't know if she's an actor or um like a musician or anything like that, right? I don't think they say she's no, they just don't. a celebrity. Which yeah, is I, mean, I think But again, this is like the world that we live in now, right? Yeah. right. Oh, absolutely. Who, who are just famous. What are they famous yeah, for? Like, well they're famous because they're famous. Yeah, I mean, I forget all the time why the Kardashians are famous. Yeah, yeah. yeah like even her illness is constructed. Even that, it's not like an organic mm-hmm. thing that happened. It was something that was constructed just for her. Even it's not quote real in the way that right. like herpes is real, right? Like that's so one of the things that was itching at me the entire time I was watching this because I don't know that much about Brandon Cronenberg's life. I don't know if he's queer or not. Um, He definitely like, there is a lot of bisexuality happening in infinity pool um, in in a way that feels very organic. So I don't, I don't know, but the AIDS epidemic was haunting this film while I was watching it to a point that I got mad at the, at the film in it sort of, brazen disregard of the politics of like passing illness and virus on purpose yeah um because of how that has been weaponized against um gay men for decades now and i mean even now like we have chemsex parties which i'm not here to shame um barebacking or chem sex or you know yeah. people who deliberately seek out partners who are HIV positive and can transmit. Um that's mm-hmm. not what I'm saying. I'm not I'm not Larry Kramer. Um <laughs> but I feel like yeah um I, I feel like the sort of way that disease um gives someone markedness that in this film and and in reality, like this designer 
anti-surveillance like Mm -hmm. um like literally it breaks the little machine it's got like anti-surveillance tech built into it virus that's made that marks hannah and then marks um our main character is so different than something like herpes or or aids whereas even in this film because it's hannah that has it um those diseases suddenly it's not just herpes it gets its own face and name. It's Hannah Geist's herpes. Yeah. Right. Yes, it's yes. it's not the AIDS that someone would get that they might transmit to someone else and then that would kill them. It's this like, you know, p- perfectly constructed uh, there's, illness. Th- there's one more thing. There's one more thing I kind of want to add on as a kind yeah, of yeah. additional, additional geological layer. So like, I, I absolutely agree that this is sort of like a, a, a glaring thing if you view this as uh, as a kind of like post-AIDS, post-1980s, 1990s mm-hmm. um, cinema. Uh, watching it now, the, when they said that she yeah. got it in China, I was like... <laughs> like and, and like, here's the thing. There's, I, had this, I had this thing, and maybe other people had this as well, that like, when vaccinations started being rolled out across our respective countries, mm-hmm. one, one of the big things, and this at the time just kind of d- drove me slightly mad, was like one of the big questions when you saw people, when you were lucky enough to get to see people, was, oh, who did you get? Like, which, oh, yeah. Which, well, oh, yeah. 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 Did, did you, oh, oh, you got the AstraZeneca. Oh, did you get Pfizer? Oh, and he's like, you're a Moderna like, guy. Yeah. <laughs> what is going on? But it's like, again, this is not a, like, it's a, the thing I love about horror movies is that occasionally you don't really need to do any, any kind of like additional work because you just go, oh no, this is, this is true. This is a documentary. This is yes. exactly <laughs> how people have responded. And it's like in, in, in the American right-wing cultural influence sphere, there are celebrities now who mark themselves out because of their pure blood that they were never, they've never been vaccinated. And it's like, no, this is this is exactly how we would behave. Like that's yeah. the thing that's really like terrifying about it, and we do so even in the aftermath of the incredible political heroism of ACT UP in the eighties and nineties. Like yeah. we do that even though we have the kind of history that proves to us that in times of like serious disease crisis, genuine collectivity is marked not through our kind of like consumption and, p- and buying into something, but by our shared vulnerability, right? The fact yeah. that, that, that yeah. this, this is a thing that we all have, it should be a kind of really powerful ground for solidarity as it was, but instead it becomes another kind of marker of a certain level of class taste. Right. And I think that's what I was getting at with like the, you know, all of the, the like, you know capitalist class of the, like the people who are who are calling this collectivity that are like you know sharing oh we're all sharing each other's bodies we're all like you know sharing parts of each other but like you bought that piece of Hannah Geist's skin that's not really sharing with her you know that's not genuine collectivity that's like um you know just a commodity she's just a piece of something to you Right. Whereas like actual collectivity with regards to illness looks a lot like the way that HIV and AIDS um, has been somewhat destigmatized, but that like 
not that it's like um normal and great to like have it and get it but like the 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 process of oh i think i may have been exposed and i'm gonna get tested and oh i have this Mm -hmm. like the way that that is now presented like i remember um, a month or two ago there was this influencer on tiktok who uh this this young um i don't remember if it was a, a gay man or a transfeminine person or how this person identified but they talked about um like in kind of an excited way that they had just um, like been diagnosed with HIV, that they were HIV positive and like this journey that they were then going on. And a lot of people jumped on them. But then a lot of other people were like, it is great that this person can talk about this and like talk about this like journey that they're going on and it not be this fucking death sentence to them now. And that like, that is a experience that they can share with a lot of other people and talk about it and have other people join in that with them. That is an amazing, beautiful thing that this person can react this way to getting HIV. And like, I remember um, when I first started transitioning, like I don't even think I had a shot of tea yet. I was still having my like little appointments um, Mm -hmm. that on the little sheet, they ask you like your orientation or or whatever. And um, then they were like, you know, asking me and the nurse's assistant was like, oh, you know, are, you know, who, what's your orientation? It's like, oh, well, I'm, I'm gay. I'll be having sex with, with men. And she's like, oh, do you want to be put on prep? Um, and I was like, well, I'm not having sex or anything right, right now. Um, she's like, oh, you going to any like orgies or anything? It'll be really fun. Like, like this nurse's assistant in Salt Lake City was like asking me if I was going to go to gay orgies and if I needed prep for that, which yes. Like that is the type of like kind of excited um, and that in, and not in a commodified, oh, I'm going to get, you know, this disease and then right. in, yeah. of this person. It's like, instead of being an isolated thing, it was this more like normalized excitement for it. Yeah. And I think, yeah. I think, I think the thing about that is like, it depends upon, I think the big thing here is this idea of, of abstraction when you kind of abstract yeah. away uh and increasingly i think we that that's the sort of default way of treating people uh, especially mm-hmm. as as the social world becomes more and more integrated into a kind of digital economy right mm-hmm. you so, people become just abstractions that you can you can consume to get whatever you want out of them and then completely discard because it's like it'd be very easy to read this film in kind of like a pat moralistic way where you go you know we should remember that celebrities are real people <laughs> but, I, I, but as you pointed out, this film actually has really good politics, and it's like actually we should remember that that so am I, right? I and I shouldn't be treated in this way in this system that seeks to kind of like uh, take out of me and leave me in this position of like colossal vulnerability solely to keep this global mechanism of commodification, commercialization, and capitalism endlessly rolling on yeah Um, yeah Yeah, like at some at one point at one point um when they're taking um sid to go see hannah they say you know one of the guys looks at him and says don't look so worried you're a commodity literally he just doesn't say it says it you know he just says it right there you can't get rid of you you're a commodity yeah yeah like don't worry we're not out loud yeah, we're not going to murder you. We're just going to like eke out every pos- everything from you and turn you into a husk. <laughs> as, like, as, Rick, 
as written about by Karl Marx. <laughs> you know, he just stares into the camera. <laughs> like, you're a commodity, and that is from chapter one of Capital. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's true. But yeah, I mean, we're we're not going to mur- why would we murder you? You're extremely valuable to us not as a human, but as a commodity. You're I mean, you know, you're the, carrying the... this disease that is totally. very important. Yeah. That's the grim grim moment right towards it, it... the end where he he's like actually there's there's isn't there something worth worse than dying? Cuz he goes, "Oh, well, I've had a chance to think about it." You know, that moment right at the end where he's like you yeah. Know, times have changed. I spent some time in your really great facility where I was monitored and turned into this thing that you sought to generate revenue out of and signed me up because it doesn't look like I've got any other choices. Yeah, really. Right. And like, really, what is Sid other than like, I mean, he's just basically working like a couple different jobs at the beginning. You know, it's like he has to work at, you know, he works at this um what is it? Oh, the Lucas Clinic, uh, full time, and then needs to make some extra money on the side, like turning his own body into, you know, like a lab, <laughs> which is what all of us are doing. We're all working, like, you know, basically working a million jobs to try and stay afloat. Yeah, like there's a fascinating commentary on intellectual property. In this as well, because what he's doing is that he is working with um, like piracy uh, people mm-hmm. who are like trying to get around the copyright protections uh, on um, the the designer celebrity viruses. Yeah. Um, and he uses his own inc- body as an incubator to get across that barrier mm-hmm. um, to like break the copyright. Like he removes the DRM basically yes. because it's like the way that the, the viruses get like coded with the, the protection happens at some stage in the process and he puts them in his own body before it gets to that process so that then he can take it on a different uh path and it's so it's like it's not just that these viruses are celebrity they are intellectual property mm-hmm. um they are trademarked they are copywritten and yes. um, there are rules um about how they um can be used right it's it's like how we don't own anything anymore we license everything everything that we use everything that we own that is intellectual property of someone else we don't actually own it or use it it's only under certain conditions and if we break those conditions then we cannot actually use it or own it anymore if you like, own an like, ebook or yeah. digital music yeah. no you don't like um you are licensing it and can only use it under certain circumstances and that's the same thing with these illnesses and i find it fascinating that the body is used as a way to get around it to break intellectual it. Yeah. property mm-hmm. uh in, in this in this film um well exactly I, the same thing is happening right a yeah. couple, of, couple of years ago there was the 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 leaked paper from a big pharmaceutical company mm-hmm. talking about actually it isn't profitable enough in the long term to cure chronic illness. No. That's not, what we, that's not what we want to do. What we want to do is we want to make it manageable, right? Curing it, that's not a good business model because then you run out of customers. But if you have a medication that keeps an illness really controlled but doesn't cure it, you've got people for, like, that's another subscription service that people are signing up to. Um, and if your direct debit doesn't work that month, then... 
uh i'm sorry you get so like this whole point of like bioengineering is the site of kind of struggle for a counterinsurgent biopolitics i think is really true um and is probably something that we should pay more attention to like this yeah. idea of like especially as so much of like contemporary big pharmaceuticals and medicine generally is moving towards what they call like genetic medicine where it's very much tailoring 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 treatment down to a single person's genome and using a single person's genome as like a risk uh, uh, factors for the future of what diseases you're likely to get and it's like I, piracy yeah, is I mean, gonna I, have to come back <laughs> i mean when right. i um oh, so I, I can tell you as oh no you go first and then i'll i'll talk about my disease and you talk about what you're <laughs> yeah so it's like um one in any time uh a thing goes around where it's like you can send in your genetic material to get your dna or so oh, it's like yeah they own they now have, um, I think it was like 23andMe or something. It's like they now have um, like copyright or some sort of licensing over your genetic material uh, mm -hmm. and can do with it whatever they want. So that's bad. But also, bad. Um, so um, I have um, the, the mental illness, as they say, and I have been in treatment for over a decade. And it was like every medication that they tried and also therapy didn't really work on me. Um, like it was kind of a scam. Um, but a lot of the, um, the medicine medication that they gave me also didn't work and we could not fucking figure out why until I got my current psychiatrist who, um, is a psychopharmacologist is his study and he's a really big nerd about it. And he, uh, he, he it's like a child playing with blocks like he's so excited to try like different combinations and stuff and fully admits that diagnosis and stuff that's just for insurance to get whatever treatment he would give me right um i like him a lot and he was like he was like i don't understand why none of these are working on you but there are these um, genetic tests that you can do. It's called GeneSight is the company that does it. And they're not actually evidence-based. And they're actually kind of like misleading except for how they look at Because what they do is they you, you send in a, um, a, a genetic sample, like you swap your cheek or your nose or something. And you send it in and they run a genetic panel. And based on that genetic panel, they tell you what psychiatric medications will work on you and which won't which uh, doesn't take into account anything else about your body, like brain chemistry or what other meds you might be on or other illnesses that you might have or anything. What it looks at is like your metabolism based on the genetic sample that you give, as well as certain genetic variants. And he's like, it's kind of a BS test, except for looking at that metabolism. Because if I don't metabolize Prozac quickly enough, like in the way that's supposed to be metabolized, Prozac's not going to work on me. And it was like doing this like genetic thing where it's like the way the meds that I'm on now are tailored to me based on a genetic reading of my metabolism. And they actually work now. He was like, okay, you can't take any SSRIs because your body doesn't metabolize them properly mm -hmm. or quickly enough. So you get to take lithium, have fun. Like that was basically what that turned into. But it like, it took a decade of, of that until it's like, all right, we're going to get to the genetic level now and fucking tailor this to you for things to actually start working on me. Um, mm. 
so yeah, that that is a, a thing that is definitely already happening is tailoring medication based on genetics. Yeah. Um, I was going to say, you know, as, uh, as someone who has a, um, an illness that is extremely expensive and has to be managed. I have uh, type one diabetes. Like I know all about how um, they will. I mean, I remember being a little kid and like them talking about, you know, Oh, we're five years to the cure, five years to the cure, five years to the cure. And every five years, it would be like five years. And now it's like, you know, my parents will be like, Oh, I think, you know, our, how are we doing with that? And I'm like, they're never going to figure it out because I am a huge cash cow. You know, insulin is $350. And now there are, there are ways to manage diabetes down to like the T, but you have to have really good insurance or you have to have a lot of money. Um, You know, like you can wear these sites that are constantly you know testing your blood sugar and then communicating with your insulin pump um but you need to be able to afford the insulin pump the insulin the um sites that go into your um body that like go from the pump to your body and then also the sites that do the other read and so it's like, you know, if you don't have very good insurance, um, you're a diabetic from the 80s. If you have good insurance, you're a futuristic diabetic, you know. So it's like there is a, a such a huge, um, a wide chasm of like what kind of like how you can manage your disease based on like what class you are, you know, because if you are a, a diabetic who is um you know working class or like don't you don't have very good insurance like your disease isn't very manageable but it's yeah. a manageable disease it's just all based on how much money you have you know and like i am not i'm not super super kind of authoritarian in a lot of my politics but like nothing yeah. <laughs> nothing makes me more authoritarian than the american healthcare system i like i have no idea how it's socially acceptable in america to admit publicly you work for an insurance company like like it should yeah. it should be it should be something that you like ever did was kill insurance yeah. people yeah. just like, throw people in the river yeah yeah like if you you should you should like you should feel serious social shame for working for an american health insurance company right. uh, because like this is the thing all of these are private this is about the privatization of our of your even of your genetic information right mm-hmm. which is then turned into the commodity 20, like 23 right. me sell, uh, exerting intellectual property over genetic material and then partnering with law enforcement agencies absolutely yep, that's how they caught the golden state killer yeah and people was, think that's a great yeah. thing and it's know? not <laughs> yeah and it like i was thinking about you know just the idea that like you know you can have a disease and like you know kind of exist in the future or in the past based on your class and like what that means to antiviral like we see the people who can afford to buy these diseases which are mostly Mm -hmm. like you know they're not they're not diseases that are going to help you they're sort of these diseases that are like you get to kind of um i loved the what the woman who bought a flu just like for her weekend (laughs) 
you know, because it's like, well, obviously she still has to go to work, you know, so she can't have a, she can't have a disease that like would affect her long term. But like she, she has enough extra money to buy a disease, like just to like have a good time for the weekend. (laughs) It's like the people who take birth control and time their placebo week where they might like take the placebo uh, week pills a week earlier than they're supposed to so that their period happens like not during their wedding or something <laughs> oh I, yeah yeah but then you know and then we do get to see like uh sid you know who is like that his job is to be a disease incubator but i was thinking about yeah like the people who exist in this world who can't participate in this um like celebrity culture at all like what it looks like for them you know i mean they can participate it from the sidelines but they're not like is there what yeah like i don't know um i guess they're just watching the tv all the time and and speculating about hannah geist's vulva (laughs) which is what we (laughs) which is what we're all doing i mean the whole thing of like (laughs) The the it reminded me so much of the rumor of Marilyn Manson having his rib removed so he could oh, autofill- yes. yeah. autofillate. Um yeah. like how many times did that little rumor go around of like the way that people, you know, are deformed or whatnot in a like sexual way? Um mm-hmm. this also what you were talking about, like the way that um the politics of curing disease and when does a disease mark you as disabled. Mm-hmm. Um, like, like when is curing a eugenics kind of thing? Like, I feel like this film is really fascinating with how it wrangles with like the social construction of disease and disability. Cause it's like, yeah, these yeah. people are having, you know, illnesses and diseases injected into them, but it's not actually marking them in society as sick. Right. Right. Um, yeah. Like it's marking meta- them as, it's marking them as like consumers. Yeah, because right. the, the it, metaphor of illness is like really fucked up and wild in this um, film because it's not like you said they're not they're not victims. They didn't do this to them. Well, they did do this to themselves, but in a different way. You know, it's like not the right. thing. You know what it reminds like, me of it reminds me of something that you if you're in London um, and you get in the tube, you'll see these big posters advertising like a kind of like health drink that's like. And the slogan is, are you tired of being tired? And it's like, yes, I, but I that I feel that way because I work in London and I'm exhausted yeah. <laughs> because capitalism is working me into an early grave. But it's like, no, I just need to get the get the special like energy drink that's going to be right. the thing that an exhaustion becomes a kind of like badge of pride. You know, isn't this the whole thing? of? Oh, like, absolutely. Oh, the millennial work shy millennials. And it's like probably probably working some of the longest hours ever and this idea of like uh you know this idea that you can work yourself to death and that's a kind of point of pride you know Mm -hmm. that 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 in itself is a kind of disease that we're afflicted with you know you think of like the industrial harms that people are exposed to asbestos like historically things like coal dust or working in working in um uh the weaving and cotton industries during the industrial revolution they were all diseases um uh the the sulfur that match girls would have eating through their jaw uh so you have radium radium like all all of these things that like uh become 
but they're not classed as diseases, right? Because the diseases, but that's just that's just something that you get because of the naturalized way that the world works, and you can't really fix that because that would involve questions about political economy that we don't want to get into. <laughs> like, but like disease is always being something that comes from is is something that comes from the outside in, right? That's mm-hmm. that's always the kind of spatialized topography that gets kind of dealt with, whereas in fact it it's actually such a normal. Uh, almost almost the great thing about any kind of body horror is that it forces us into the recognition of our own contingency that we are so close to being something completely other whilst yes. at the same time desperate to remain what we are yeah like i saw this really a tweet that scared me um uh, like last night or this morning as i was going to bed or waking up because i you know check my phone when I wake up in the morning and I wanted to, you know, and I saw someone tweet, um, the more I learn about viruses and stuff, the more I think that we should all avoid getting any of them at all costs. Like the sort of, like the sort of, um, not like post COVID, not as in COVID is over, but like the sort of like post COVID politics of getting sick. And this person was like, I, you know, we should actually try to eliminate all viral infection period and like to me like again like because i had just watched this and like the politics of um was it seraphobia which is like um you know you know being um bigoted towards people because of their like hiv status and or mm-hmm. like their status um and like the sort of like discussion of like oh we should avoid getting all viruses and it's like, I know what this person meant. And it's like the way that viruses affect your body and, you know, you know, people can get sick and it kind of affect them for years and stuff. And it's like, yeah, that sucks. But it felt like such a fucking eugenicist. Yeah, fascist. And it's yeah. being, but it's being said in this sort of like, I'm a leftist and I care about the health of people and it is a good way to signal left politics that i am against getting sick in this way and i'm like you're not doing what you think you're doing yeah i, like, I promise you well, yeah. and it was and so like people, yeah yeah who are the people who are most vulnerable to getting viruses you know that we're sending out i, I mean i'm right now we we're in not not to um pinpoint a date on this because who knows when we're going to release this episode but you know right now there is a a toxic cloud hanging over you know Philadelphia uh yesterday we had the we had the distinction of having the worst air of any city in the United States <laughs> you know and yeah and they didn't close school and they didn't no uh, because you know that and and people were th- saying well well I know it looks bad, but also, you know, kids live in homes where, like, maybe the air isn't that much better at home either. So I guess we should just send them to school. Yeah, that's that's the moral. That's the moral that we should take here. And yeah, this the the, the, the this is the point, right? There is the there's the distinction between, on the one hand, this drive for kind of like cellular purity. Yeah, which which whether it's well intentioned or not results in kind of like a fascist biopolitics because they'll yes. always there'll always be a group there'll always be a demographic there'll always be a, a person who's identified as being the one who is 
the risk and mm-hmm. the way that you you'll you'll start with containment and it will only escalate from there right or there is this kind of hyper individualized responsibilization where you go mm-hmm. well it's better that they go to school don't you like why do you why do you want to keep children away away from education when in fact like what this boils down to is that the 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 personal bodily infirmity of me is inextricably bound up within the social life that you know i exist within and yes. you know like health it, this idea of like is a big thing happened in the uk when there's this big push to uh talk about like people taking responsibility for their mental health and you know mark you know mark fisher wrote, writes about this and it's like no because obviously obviously there's individual biochemistry at work obviously on the level of uh people like me with genetic predispositions to certain uh problems you know there there's individual things that we could but like right. but this is a social problem this is mm-hmm. like and this is this is true this is the kind of beautiful thing about this film and so many of um so many other good really good body horror films is to go even down to the cellular level right we are bound up within one another and that is that is terrifying that is terrifying but it's also kind of like beautiful and and yes. hot and <laughs> exciting and yes. actually the, 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 that's how deep solidarity can go right it can go down to the very level of your like of your cells uh, with others and i think yeah i think that's the kind of like genuinely sort of like unsettling thing because we realize how fragile that discreet eye that we think of as being unique his and last special. name is Horus. he's he's I called name is edward porous right? <laughs> it's like but that's what we all are that's what we all are yeah, but, we're all like, porous we're porous yeah yeah, yeah and that, and that can be really that beautiful. Is scary yeah but then yeah beautiful when you come out of the other side of that you know that like we can have real collectivity we can't buy it at the lucas clinic Mm -hmm. you know that that should be like a a politics of cannibalism is is about the the boundary between yeah of collectivity like you know just like dispelling this myth that there is a boundary between yeah me and you Right. That's why we keep setting off the Deliz alarm every time we have an episode. Yeah. One day I'll get a soundboard and I'll make and I'll get a Deliz alarm. <laughs> oh my yeah. god. So wait, think... so do we think this is we didn't answer the question. Do we think this is cannibalism? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but maybe like not in the like when people people have this very, I think, rigid idea. Like they, the the idea that people have of cannibalism is often rooted in a lot of um, uh, colonialist, yeah, othering, um, like othering of like tribal indigenous people, yeah, and that is where a lot of its horror comes in. Is that it is viewed as like a loss of being civilized, yeah, um, um, and whereas this is showing, um not like what a civilized cannibalism looks like like that's not what i'm saying but like <laughs> how normalized it is to cannibalize and consume each other and like what that actually could what that actually looks like and could look like and granted like this is still doing it in like a consumption capitalist way but like you know 
getting, you know, if you live with someone like a partner and like, I, I remember one time in grad school, my, uh, my partner at the time got strep throat and I went to the doctor immediately and was like, hi, the person I'm intimate with has strep throat. Please give me medicine because I have it now, probably, even though I haven't started showing s- symptoms, right. Yeah. Where it's like that level of something in their body is now in my body and I've consumed it and it's affecting me on this cellular level, like you were saying, John, Hmm. Um, like that, that happens all the time. That's part of what it means to be in community and solidarity with people is consuming each other. Mm -hmm. And like that can include violence, but it doesn't have to, like it can come from a place of solidarity and love and like revolution of consumption uh, and not of um, uh, commodification and exploitation. Yeah. Yeah. And horniness. And horniness. <laughs> it's got to be horny. It's got to be horny. If, if you're it's not a sick little horny. freak, then yeah. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. Um, <laughs> we've been going for a little over an hour. Uh, yeah. What sort of other final yeah, thoughts final or thoughts? maybe things that people didn't get to bring up but wanted to? I have nothing super pressing I wanted to bring up, but I do probably have to wrap up if that's okay. Yep. Yeah. Oh, yep. that's fine. Yeah. I think we covered a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I like ending yeah. on a, you know, hope sort of on that hopeful note of like, you know, that that, that real, real collectivity and um is possible you know yes and that we just have to yeah. be horny little cannibals yeah yes <laughs> that's, what we're of. that's, 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 that's it <laughs> yeah so tell the lovely listeners at home uh where they can find you you i would love to i would love to do that uh you can find <laughs> you can find me on uh twitter and pretty much everywhere as at the liquid guy um at the moment, I'm not doing a great deal on there because I'm trying desperately to finish a book uh, on horror movies and politics. But the, it's gonna—it's coming out next it's gonna year. Be it's going to be a banger. It's going to be a banger. It's got a great cover with a with a horrible, weird little guy on it, um, <laughs> and I'm so excited for everyone to get to 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 read it. But I have to finish doing it first. Uh, you can find a whole bank of writing videos and other stuff over on Patreon. Um, and you can find Horror Vanguard wherever, wherever you get your fine artisanal podcast from. A haunting, like if you ever hear a strange whisper in the night, just know that's Horror Vanguard, and you are close to something beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Not couldn't be a more beautiful way to to end our podcast, yes. which we still don't have an ending for. So. <laughs> It's coming. It's coming. It's coming. <laughs> Cut. Print, I feel flat. it. There we go. Yeah. 